Crypto, Secrets of the Trade, hosted by BJ Pyrus. What's up, guys, and welcome to Crypto, Secrets of the Trade. My name is BJ Pyrus, aka Coin Tribune on Twitter. I'm a full-time writer in crypto and part-time trader, and the reason I wanted to make this podcast is because I find the art of trading fascinating, whether it's traditional markets or crypto markets. Now, I wanted to focus specifically on the crypto markets and interviews with, with successful crypto traders because crypto is similar to traditional markets in trading in many ways, but it's also very different. And so I always found it fascinating um, listening and talking to different crypto-specific traders and their methods and whether it's swing trading, day trading, or what have you. Um, I just find that uh, very interesting and I think that you as listeners would feel the same way and, and be able to learn a lot from, from the best traders. So the podcast will mostly be centered around interviews with successful crypto traders, their backgrounds, stories, methods, all of that. Um, and each show I'll try and interview a prominent crypto trader from crypto Twitter. This week we have Bleeding Crypto on the show. He can be found on Twitter as at Bleeding underscore Crypto. Hey Bleeding Crypto, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. So just out of curiosity, um, how did you come up with your, your Twitter name? <laughs> A lot of people ask me this question. It's really funny. Um, I am, whenever I get involved with something, I, I always do it 100%. Either I love it or I hate it. And when I got introduced to crypto, it fascinated me so much that I pretty much lost focus on everything else that I was doing in my life, including my own business. <laughs> and I came, I became obsessed with it. And for me, it was, um, excuse me, my alarm went off. Um, for me, it was, I was so passionate about it that I felt that I had crypto in my blood. And I would joke with my wife that if I cut myself, I would probably bleed Bitcoin. So when I came up with my name, I'm thinking, what name can I use to describe how much I love Bitcoin. And for me, it was like, man, if I cut myself, I'm bleeding crypto. And I'm like, that's it. That's the name. <laughs> so that's how I came up with my name. Wow. That's interesting. Um, so along those lines, then how did you actually get into crypto? How did, what was that process like for you? For me, it was back in 2016. Um, I got into, introduced to crypto by my cousin. He had been involved since 2010. He had it, uh, started mining Bitcoin, um, I think, in 2011. And um, he told me about it in 2016 because, you know, obviously the increase of value. And like anything else, through the years, I've always been introduced to things. And it's always been gimmicks, you know, pyramid schemes, selling vitamins and, you know, all these other things. And I never... I've never was the type to knock anybody and I was, you know, I would always, you know, encourage them, hey, you know, if you think it's this good for you, go ahead and give it a try. For me, I thought it was one of those, oh, I've heard it all type of stories. So I never paid much attention to it. And at the time it was about 400 and I want to say, I think it was like $450 or so. He came back six months later and it had doubled in price. It was almost $1,000. And that's what really caught my eye. Um, you know, as, as I said before, I ran my own business. So I was a businessman and I invested my money, but I didn't invest my money so much in the stock market because I did miss the internet uh, uh, bubble. Unfortunately, I didn't invest in the internet, but I would invest in property and properties and uh, in other forms. So that really caught my eye. 
um, it, it really sparked my attention. So I started reading up on it. And from the moment I just started un understanding what crypto was and what Bitcoin was, I just, like I said, it just took over my life. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty similar to to my story, actually, and to, to a lot of people I've talked to. Um, so then did you have any trading or investing experience before crypto? None at all. Not investing in the stock market. I didn't invest. I would buy uh, properties and I would sell them and because I, was in the, I had a construction company. So in, I invested in, in that area, but not in the stock market. So for me, it was a little bit overwhelming trying to understand how to how to uh, trade. Um, when I first got into crypto and I started learning about technical analysis, I actually said, oh, I don't need it. I think I can just uh, do it off the order book because at the time, you know, the market was going up. We were in a bull market. And as everybody knows, everybody thinks they're a genius in a bull market and they mm -hmm. really don't until you get right. Correct. Right. Right. For sure. Um, okay. And so how, what was the experience like for you initially learning how to trade? So um, was it, are you mostly self-taught or did you have a mentor or anything like that? I was, I had both. So I had uh, my cousin at the time, but unfortunately he lived in uh, Los Angeles. So um, we would communicate uh, telephone and, um, on text message. So what I did is I just started my first account that I opened obviously was in Coinbase. From Coinbase, uh, I just kept on seeing my money multiply and multiply and multiply. And uh, week after week, I was just putting money in it, putting money in it. And I'm like, this this is just, just, just insane. I, 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 this got to be um, something else I can do. So he told me, when you feel comfortable, there's this thing called Poloniex. You can move your money into there. You can move the Bitcoin and the Ethereum that you're buying, move it into there, and then you can start buying all the smaller coins. So he would kind of explain to me what crypto was. So right away, I'm very impulsive. I don't I don't just study things. I just jump into it. I moved all my money into Poloniex, <laughs> and I started trading. Uh, I think my first trade was DGB. And I flipped that. I literally made a, a little over 100% in one trade in no less than, I want to say an hour and a half. And it was just happened to be by coincidence that that DGB had taken off at the time. And I said, this is the easiest thing in the world. All I did was look at the order book. I saw when the orders would stop and I sold it. I can do this. I'm telling my wife, this is, this is meant to be. And like everyone's story, I, I lost most of my money <laughs> very shortly after that. So that really woke me up because I saw the potential, but I saw that I just I got wrecked. But I, it, I did, it did not discourage me. I, it just made me, it lit that fire. Like I have to learn this. This is a new way for me to get out of the industry that I'm in, um, which is oversaturated in, in Arizona. That's where I'm from. And also, it, you know, I'm getting older and it's, you know, it's a very difficult on my body, um, that type of field, even though I didn't, I did the day-to-day the -day in the construction company too. I had employees, but nevertheless, I just wanted something different. I've been doing it for 20 years. So that just encouraged me to get on YouTube. And I really learned most of what I know through YouTube. Um, I looked at videos like from the chart guys. Mm -hmm. I would listen to Tone Vase. I would um, just Google Forex uh, trading. And a lot of the a lot of the uh, TA that Forex uh, teaches is very, very similar to, to crypto. So that really did help me a lot. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So are you a full-time trader now in, in crypto? Yes, I am. 
Excellent. That's that's yes, pretty tough to do, especially in a in a down market. So yes, yes. Well, yeah. I, what what helped me is that I started in September of last year, so I was able to ca- catch that catch that bull run. So that that helped me a lot. If it wasn't for that, I don't think I would be. Right, for sure. And what's your preference? So are you more of a swing trader or an intraday trader? Um, I want to be an intraday trader, but unfortunately, like you said, in this market, it's very difficult. So. Um, I'm a very high frequency trader. So during the bull runs, I would normally have about uh, 15 to 20 coins and I, tr- I would trade almost almost every single day, um, all day long. Um, right now, it's, you know, it's different. We have to adapt to the environment that we're in. So sometimes I don't take a trade on for, for a week or even longer. If I don't see the setups are, are correct, if the setups don't work for me, I'm not going to force a trade. If the setups are perfect, are great for me and they come to me, then I'll take the trade. So um, right now, you can say I'm a swing trader because I am not trading every day. Right. So basically, um, your preference is based on the market, but you're you're comfortable. You're very comfortable with both, correct? Yes, I yes I am. Yes, awesome. I am. Um, and to that note. It, psychology in trading is difficult sometimes um so on that note is that hard for you sometimes to uh basically sit on your hands in a market like this and and just tell me about that process of feeling like um wanting to do something but at the same time knowing that you shouldn't look psychology is the hardest absolute hardest thing anyone can do. I think in every profession, there is always that one thing that you have to learn to master. And I, I can't say that I've mastered the psychology of it yet. I am trying. It's very difficult. And I think I'm, pr- I'm close to being there. But even though I, I know what not to do, uh, it's very hard to, to separate your emotions. And I, I have a, a, a group that I, uh, that I mentor, and that's one of the things that I'm constantly telling them. And it's funny because when you become a mentor, sometimes it actually helps me um, to lead by example. So when, even though I want to sometimes FOMO into something, I have to, you know, have to tell myself, Hey, look, these guys are, are watching you. Just, just relax. You know what not to do. Don't do what they, what you're trying to tell them not to do. So I think that helps me a lot because, um, it is very difficult when you have your money in it, especially when you do it full time and it's your hard earned money that you have. Um, it's very difficult to, to want to get in and miss that trade. It's just, it's a normal, normal reaction. When people say, oh, I have no emotions, that's, I, it, it's very hard for me to believe that. Um, but you just have to remind yourself, hey, listen, you know, you know what to do, let your training take over. And that's what I try to do in every trade. Um, when I feel like I'm getting too excited, I'm like, well, think about all the times you got wrecked. What, what do you, what do you, you, you know what to do. Um, and I just let those trades come to me as hard as it is sometimes. And it works out, you know, when the few times that I have FOMO'd into something and, and maybe not waiting for the trade to come to me, I don't get the amount of ROI that I would have uh, received if I would just would have waited and been patient. Right, for sure. And again, on the psychology note is we all have certain tendencies um, with so many different personality types and everything. Is there something for you that you have identified in yourself that you know, hey, this is um, something with regards to trading psychology that I need to be careful of and try and work on um, 
on that note. Yes, uh, being impulsive. I've been a very impulsive person my entire life. And um, so for me is just waiting for that um, for that setup. And I'll give you an example. So um, when I see a setup coming along, um, I'll, I'll, you know, start filling out the forms, put, put my order in. And a lot of the times you'll start seeing, um, I never put my order when I go, when I when I'm going to, uh, put a, put a trade in, I never put it right at the cost of where it is. I look at where the, the support is. I look where the EMAs are and I'll put it slightly below and I'll wait for, for my order to come down and fill and take off. So what happens a lot of the times is that it won't come down to fill that order. And your very first instinct is, okay, let me, let me cancel that order and just let me go ahead and market buy it market by because it's going to take off. So you have to just recognize that that order will come. And more more often than not, when I have canceled my order and market bought, the order, the price action came down eventually to where I originally had my order. And I would have lost that, you know, 1% or 1.5% that uh, by market buying it doesn't sound like a lot. But in this market, when your profit right now, sometimes is only five, 6%, that 1.5% does impact your bottom line. Definitely, for sure. And uh, I know I know, I have had similar experiences of um, moving my buys up and stuff like that, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, what would you say is your, your trading edge? So a lot of uh, full-time traders have identified something that, that makes them profitable more than 50% of the time, or if it's um, – sometimes you can be still profitable less – than 50% uh, accuracy on your trades, mm -hmm. um, depending on your sizing and all that. But what would you say your your personal edge is that, that makes you more profitable than not? I think I play a theory that I was fascinated when I, when I first learned it, and it's called gap theory. So gap theory is basically the spaces in between the candle bars. Uh, when a price action takes off, it leaves a certain space there. And there's a 91% probability that the price action is going to come down and fill that space. Now, sometimes it'll take, it won't happen right away. It might go up 20, 30%, but eventually it'll come down, grab that, and then turn turn around. It almost acts like a magnet. So when I first saw that, it was it was uh, it was something I said. There's no way this thing is going to come down 20%, fill that gap, and turn around. And it would do it time after time after time. So I started learning the way I can utilize those gaps to my advantage by waiting and and grabbing those orders and making the most ROIs I can on each trade. And when I started learning how they move and um, learning how the gaps will act as sometimes as support and resistance, that really, really helped me to create my own unique style. And I would start passing that along on Twitter. And when I would post these charts, people would tell me there is no way this is going to happen. The same thing I said when I first learned it. And as people were fascinated by the accuracy and how many of my trades executed exactly like I said a week two weeks later to the right to the T I started gaining these you know just hundreds and hundreds of followers um, every month and now I'm up to almost 20,000 followers and even to this day some people are like there's this is not gonna happen I'll, I'll give you a perfect example when 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 one was listed on Binance when took off and it left 
started leaving all of these gaps. And I said, this is going to retrace all the way to this point here, almost 100%. And I had all these OGs telling me, man, I've seen your gap theory. I'm telling you, you're going to be wrong on this. You're going to be wrong. I had so much. I got so many um, attaboys from a lot of these OG guys and a lot of these guys that I started following when I first started getting on Twitter, started following me from that one chart that I had on, on WAN. It, it was just one of those things that you sometimes you just have to see it to believe it. And 91% accuracy is a really high number when you're dealing with probabilities in, in, in trading. Oh, for sure. That is, that's insanely high. So when you talk about gaps, uh, I know it's a, a it's really common in traditional markets, but since crypto is twenty four seven, are are you referring to smaller time frame charts? Because on the one hour, the fifteen, the it's I don't see those gaps. No, they they are not in the smaller time frames. I don't seem to to really pull the price action uh, as much. So when I look at gaps, um, it's from the one hour uh, and up. So one hour, four hour, six hour, twelve hour, and one day. The higher time frames, it's very difficult to see those 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 gaps. You don't see them as often. Uh, normally, you you see them in the one and four hour. And just just on those there, it's uh, it's um it's it, you see quite a bit of them, but you have to. Search for them. So a lot of times when I post these charts, people are like, I don't see them at all. They're, they're not there whatsoever. When I zoom in and I expand, they're like, oh, there it is. So it's something that you manually have to go in there and search for. But for me, because I've been doing it for so long, I can spot it without having to uh, zoom out as much anymore. And I can spot those. And sometimes when they're really tight, I'll just zoom in and I'll catch it just to confirm because sometimes they're really tight. But no matter how tight they are, a gap is a gap and 91% of them will get filled. That's fascinating. Um, yes. And so when you're so let's get an answer here for day trading and then swing trading. Yeah. How often do you um, what's the word I'm looking for? What time frame do you give your trades to play out in respect to both of those categories? Um, at the moment right now, uh, usually 24 hours is about what I give them just because the market's moving much, much quicker. Uh, excuse me, much, much slower. So it's not as quick as, as I want to. And, um, it, it, you know, it really depends on a trade. And, and I'll give you an example. I had an, uh, a trade with uh, a Sia coin that I started uh, a couple of uh, a few about a week ago, and it took almost a week to execute. But that's because Sciacoin moves much, much slower. So that's one thing that I try to uh, to tell people that when you're looking at a uh, looking at a coin, every coin has a different price action. It's really important that you identify that price action. So when you look at something that you like, don't just base it off of what you hear on Twitter. If you really like that coin, study it, look at it. Every coin's going to run a different way, and it always follows a certain pattern. So when you identify what those patterns are, it's really going to tell you what that time frame is going to be. So I knew Sciacoin was going to go really, really slow, and that uh, and that trade took a week to, to to complete. Most of the ones that I'm doing now, however, they take about 24 hours. Like the ETC trade that we had with with my group uh, a couple of days ago, it took uh, it executed in 24. It took a, a little over 24 hours, but that's that's generally the the time frame right now. It's a, it's a about a day okay interesting and then if it's um like more of an intraday style so like the bull market 
uh, moved very fast when we had it, uh, the most recent one. Yes. What um, what was your kind of uh, sweet spot for trade timing on that? It would be within within uh, an eight hour period. Okay, cool. Within an eight hour period. And do you have any recommendations for people who are still trying to find their personal edge? Um, yeah, I would say um, don't find your find the tools that work for you. Sometimes it gets a little bit overwhelming when you know most of us are on Twitter and we're looking at all these guys. They use Elliott Waves, they use Itchy Clouds, and and not all of them are are necessarily something that you might understand or that you want to take on. Uh, one of the things that I, I is fascinating about the technical analysis is that I have a certain tools that I use that are completely different to like say uh, Lisa Edwards or or CryptoDog. But yet at the end of the day, when I do my analysis and I look at them, they have almost the same target as I do. And they found that conclusion using a complete set of tools. So find the tools that you understand. That's got to be the number one thing. If you understand those tools, then it'll then it's going to work for you. But if you're trying to, to, to utilize a tool that you quite don't understand or quite not have mastered, it's going to be very hard for you to execute those trades properly because you don't quite understand that tool. So find and utilize them and don't don't think that more tools are better that is not the case uh, sometimes you have tools that conflict with each other and if you don't read them correctly you're going to one of them is going to tell you it's bearish one of, one of them is going to tell you it's bullish so find the tools that also complement each other awesome and on that note as well um what would you say uh, I know you, you mentioned the, the gap up. Do you have a, a certain set of several different criteria that you need to meet before you place yes. a trade? Yes, and that's a very, very great question because that is one thing that everyone should have. Everyone should have a protocol set ingrained in their brain that they should look at a chart and within five seconds know if that trade meets their criteria, meets their protocol. So for me, it's going to be I use EMAs, and I use um, RSI and MACD. So when those line up for me, for instance, I'll give, I'll give an example. The EMAs, I use the 9, 30, 50, and 100. So I will never take on a trade if the 9 EMA is over the price action. Be, and some people use the 7, some people use the 9. And sometimes I'll switch those two because depending on how, and how tight the, the EMA is to the price action, how well it supports it. But my, my point is that if you, look at, if you look at a 7 or a 9 EMA and it's above the price action, that's usually applies a lot of down pressure to, to the price action. So for me, number one is the, the 9 EMA or the 7 EMA has to be underneath the price action to create a support base. The RSI has to have an uptick and be below 50 points before I take on that trade and pointing up and the same thing with the MACD. Those three, when I execute that protocol, more than 70% than of my trades will be successful when those three are meeting the, the right criteria. And sometimes they meet and Bitcoin tanks and everything just tanks and you can't, but that's something that you cannot, you really can't foresee, but if the setup is right and everything's in the right conditions and uh, more, more than more often than not, it does execute it, it, the way I want them. 
Wow, that's fascinating. It sounds like you have a, a phenomenal percentage because um, even, I mean, even 51, 52% is going to get you there. So it sounds like you're yeah. doing pretty well. The, uh, the gentleman who taught me that I picked a lot of stuff up from, uh, he was a stock trader and he said that the, the, in, the, in the bullpen in Wall Street, the best successful traders are, are, are successful 55% of the time. That's, right. all they, that's all they need. It's 55%. Right. Um, so it sounds like you have a pretty good system. So um, with your system, how, how did you come about developing your trading? So we just talked about your trading. Um, <clears throat> sorry. We just talked about your trading uh, system. And how did you come up with developing that? Because I know a lot of people struggle with um, just looking at everything and having so many options and everything <laughs> like trying not to fit your bias, um, stuff like that. So yes. can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, going back to where I was saying in the beginning that when I got into this field, I was felt really, really overwhelmed. I came from a completely different field and I did not understand a technical analysis. Now you got to keep in mind that for somebody newcomer coming in TA is a, is a completely foreign language. It is like going to another country and learning Mandarin, for instance. You just, it's, it's a whole different set of, you're looking at lines and they're telling you a story and you have to now learn that language of these lines and these bars and these charts to speak to you and tell you where the price might go. Because again, this is all probability just based on the prior uh, uh, price action. So for me, it was finding the tools that were the simplest ones. So an RSI is basically a line that points up and points down. So that's that's real okay, that's simple. Now, where is that line located? Is it is it down and the over oversold or up in the overbought? So when you when you really just break it down to the most simplest forms, I'm like, I like this one. Okay, this is this is simple mm -hmm. enough. Once you master one, then you can, okay, what's a MACD? Okay, you have the volume oscillator here. You have the, the you know, you have a bearish uh, tone or a bull, a bull tone and when you, uh, a, a bullish uh, a tone. And when you, when you match them together with the RSI, they move very, very close to each other in the price action. So I'm like, okay, you start seeing the way they complement each other. Then I think the biggest one for me was going to be the EMAs. When you really find a set of EMAs that work for you, and this is something that you'll see a lot on Twitter. Everyone has their own settings. Some people use a 55. Some people use a 50. Some people use a 99. Some people use the 100. Um, so those EMAs, you want to find the one. And they're so easy to tweak. There's a little wheelbar. You change the, the one number and you find the one that works for you, that works with your style. So for me, it's just find the simplest ones. I do want to learn the, the Itchy Cloud one. I think it's very interesting. I think that'll be the next tool that I that I want to master is going to be that Itchy Cloud. I see a lot of these guys using it on Twitter, and I can respect how accurate and how well it works. And I'm starting to understand it more and more. Um, but because I'm just, you know, I found my style, and sometimes you just get uh, you get this like sometimes tunnel vision, even as a trader, even as someone who does it full time, and you figure, okay, now I'm going to stick to what works. There's other stuff that, that I continually want to learn, and we have to adapt so that it can improve our style. For sure. A lot of good points in there. And so you mentioned TA um, and trading being similar to Forex. Do you, in your opinion, um, trading in crypto and TA in crypto, does it work better 
the same or worse than traditional market trading because it's a it's a an emerging market right and it's very early on so what's your opinion on that I I learned uh, like I said on YouTube from forex trading but I never actually did any forex trading or any stock trading um, but now that I I, I'm obviously, you know, a trading in crypto. When I follow the stock market, I follow the news. Um, I see the sim. I see the similarities, and I see a lot of the charts, and I understand what they're saying. The only thing that doesn't uh, do it for me um, is that the the low percentages and the low liquidity, the way those markets seem to move compared to crypto. I know a lot of guys who do crypto do forex trading, and they, you know, they like it there, especially in the bear market. Um, I, I can still find money to make in a bear in a bear market, and I just can't see myself going for one and a half percent and being happy with that. I mean, as it is now, you pay uh, what a 025 percent on for for a fee on on Binance if you use Binance. So for me to do one percent, it's even in a bear market, you can still get four or five percent uh, on a trade. So for me, it's never been it's never been appealing to me to go into those markets. Uh, maybe someday I will. But for me, it's 100% crypto. I just, I, I don't, I can't really answer that, you know, in uh, too too well because I just don't trade those markets at all. Right. And when you're talking about um, bear market and your bias being towards the downside, do you? Are you talking about? Um, are you shorting a lot of the time with altcoins? No, you know what? I don't short on the altcoins. Um, I only trade up. I just find it. It's. Um, I, I don't want to seem like a, like a conspiracy. And mostly people already know uh, crypto is very manipulated. Some people get really offended when they say that. Oh, it's not being manipulated. It's it, to me, in my opinion, it's very manipulating. So they, they, they manipulate the market. So a lot of these shorts I see, for instance, Bitcoin, every time the shorts pile up, we see more, more often than not a short squeeze. So in my mind, I'm thinking, how are you opening a short when you have the competition on the other side looking at you and then know that you're doing this and they're just going to take your money? And I, I follow this, uh, this one guy on Twitter, this company on Twitter that shows all the, all the liquidated shorts. And every day I get the alerts coming up on how many people got liquidated. So for me, I really don't want to show my hand to the house. So if I'm gambling, I'm playing blackjack against the dealer, I'm not going to show them what my hand is going to be. And I feel that way about shorting. Now, some people, a lot of people that short that are friends of mine say, you know, you don't have to. You can do it really quick for 2-3%, leverage it you know, five, 10. And I just, it's very difficult for me to, to do that. And also I have to use a, a, um, a, a VPN because I'm in the United States. It's, it's illegal to, uh, to get into like Bit, uh, BitMEX, I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and that gets me a little worried using a VPN. Um, and since the style that I have trading with the exchanges that I can are working for me, I just haven't really taken the time enough to, to look into further into shorting but I do not short. Right. Interesting. And on the lines of manipulation and things of that nature, I've uh, personally found it difficult sometimes when you have a pattern that is supposed to play out in a certain way traditionally, but mm -hmm. then you get the mm -hmm. Bart Simpsons um, where it, you're familiar with that, correct? Yes, I am. Okay. So you get the Bart Simpson patterns where you're like, okay, Traditionally, it should go in this direction, but 
it, it's literally a 50-50 shot um, because of the way the market goes sometimes. Or if there's super long wicks and they're just stop hunting, how do you deal with those things? Because it, it, it can go against what you're, what you're taught. And it, yes. So the only way you can protect you, you can protect yourself uh, over that is stop losses. That's the, really the only way. So what I do is that I like to ride my stop losses up, and I, I like to ride them to protect my profit. Um, I used to just put a stop loss to protect my initial investment, and because it's for me, it's so manipulated. And even though the setups are right, it goes completely the opposite way, and then you wind up losing, you know, five percent of your initial investment. Those five percent will really add up very, very quickly. So, like I said before, when I find those setups that are just right, and and uh, most of the time, when I get into a trade and it picks up my trade at a certain point, it turns around and goes right back up. The the moment it does that, I put my stop loss pretty much at break even. And as it moves up, I adjust my stop loss. Now, the number one question I get is, what percentage do you use? I don't have a set per a percentage. And again, it goes back to what I said before. Learning the price action of a coin will help you understand how that coin moves and will tell you where to put that stop loss. And again, I'll use the example of Siacoin. Siacoin moves very, very slow. So I can, I can be very comfortable putting my stop loss at maybe... 20 satoshis away from the from the top of the uh, from the top of the price and 20 satoshis on something like say neo or ada will get eaten up in a second so you have to know how that particular coin moves and and that'll help you understand where to put that stop loss right for sure and that makes sense and then so basically it sounds like you go with um Basically, you go with what you're taught in your system, and then if yes. it doesn't play out, then you just take the take the small loss. Um, yes. Interesting. And so going back to um, what would you say, Have you do you have any experience with coding or bots or anything on that whole market? Sector? No, I don't. No, I don't. I have no experience on that at all. Okay. Is that something you might be looking into doing? Um, no, I, I don't have any really any plans for any of that. Okay, cool. Um, and do you have, so let's get into um, current market situation. So if you wouldn't mind, what, what do you think uh, things are currently, where do you think things are currently at? Okay, and again, everybody has their own opinion on the market, and some people are bull, some people are, are bearish. I'm, I'm a bull by nature. I mean, like I said, I don't short, so I want this market to come right back up. But I also have to be realistic of what the TA is telling me and what the market is telling me, and also what the, what the past experience and the way the market has been moved and manipulated in the past. Again, this is just my opinion. Um, so I take that into account when I'm looking at future projections on where this market's going to go. So for me, there are a ton of gaps at the bottom of, of, of the charts. So let me give you an example. When we were, when we hit 5,700 the last time, um, not this, not this, not this few weeks ago, but back in, I want to say like March, March or, so, or June, when the price went up and we went up to, and we peaked out at, at 84, at $8,400, um, um, it it left a a 
absurd amount of gaps right when the price started taking off across the entire board. Almost every alt had it. And I started posting. I might post like maybe like 40 or 50 charts. And when I saw that, it, it, it really sparked my curiosity. Like, this is something different. I usually see, you know, one or two gaps or, or, or at the most. And I left 15 to 20 gaps on every single chart. And I noticed that even though we ran up and everybody was calling, okay, this is the reversal, this is the reversal, I was very weary. And sure enough, the price came down and filled every single one of my charts except for one except for DGB that still has two gaps at the bottom that need to be filled at 236 Satoshis is the last one. But every single one um, uh, filled up. Now, this last time, last month, when we ran up to 8,400, the exact same thing happened, almost identical. So for me, based on what happened the last time, I am very confident that we're going to go back down to 5,800. And one other thing that's rarely happened is that when we took off a few months ago, across all the exchanges, there was a gap left at 5,900. Every exchange is going to have the gap placed a little different. Some are at 5950, 59.40, 59.50, but nevertheless in that same vicinity. Now, that is something that normally when I look at a gap, I look at different exchanges and you'll find it on one exchange, maybe Bitnex, maybe Bittrex, maybe Binance. This particular gap was on most of the major exchanges. So that was another thing that was a marker for me. We have not come back and filled it. We hit 57, uh, 57.90, I believe, a few weeks ago, but... It, it wicked up. What I mean by that is I left a wick and the body of the candle closed right above within a few Satoshis above the gaps. That is not considered a fill. Um, the body of the candle has to come down. And we have not come down and filled those gaps yet. So because of my prior experience using gaps, I'm I'm still calling 5,800. A lot of these guys saying you're out of your mind. It's a reversal. You'll see. And that's okay. You know what? If it is, that's fine. I'll jump in. I'll jump in heavy when, uh, when you know, and I'll, miss a, and I'll miss a few percentages. No big deal. But you have to stick to your training. You have to stick to what you, what you know. Because if you don't, if you're selective, you're never going to find your style and you're going to get wrecked that way. You cannot make exceptions in your protocol because then where do you, where do you draw the line? Right, for sure. Yeah, um, so I think we're going down to 5,800 to answer your question. I think we're going to 5,800, and the cost of production is about 47.95, about 4,800 dollars. In in other markets, from what I understood, from what I understand, is that they've always tested like oil and, and other things. They've always tested tested the cost of production. So many people, uh, some people that I that I speak with, feel like we're gonna maybe come down really quick and touch that cost of production area. Um, I, to me, that seems really low in, in, the, in the, you know, high 4,000s. I think, for my opinion, the, the most that it would come down would be about 5,000 because I think that's a psychological number. I think more, uh, most people are really going to step up at five, uh, if, if we make it to 5,000, I think it's going to be very hard to dip below that because you're going to have everybody, even the people who got wrecked in, who got in in January and February are going to find money somehow and they're going to start buying at 5,000. So I think that's going to be a really, really key psychological level to not, uh, to not go under the 5,000. Right. That totally makes sense. Um, and so when we talk about the next 
bull market. Um, there's a couple of perspectives. I have heard everything from this one to that one, but uh, common consensus would be the next bull market might be the final massive one where the institutional money comes in and it's the biggest bull market and then we're not going to see anything to that scale after that. Right, what's your opinion on on all of that? Um, I know tokenized securities are going to come in as well and that's going to, in my opinion, that's going to be the next uh, big fad like ICOs were last year. But I, I agree with that. I really do agree with that only because you got to look at the way these guys are uh, are want to they, they want to be able to control the market. So a perfect example is the futures contract. Look at the volatility that we had prior to futures market. We used to have 20, 30 percent swings and there was no big deal. Um, when Bitcoin was moving up to, from 3K, from 7K to 20K, we would have $1,500 Wix correction. I mean, that's insane. Think about we have a $200, $400 correction now and everybody's like losing their minds. We were having $1,500 wicks. Now that the once the futures contract started, we lost all that volatility. It's just really, really, really has, they're really controlling that, vol they're really controlling that volatility that we, that we had. So I'm thinking in the way they would think. They want to go in, and when they go in, that's where we're going to see the massive, massive bull run. So for me, um, next bull run, I'm pretty much it, – it's, it's all in for me because after that, I think the big boys are going to have all the, all the liquidity on their side. They're going to be able to call the shots. They're going to be able to know exactly how much they want to short, if they want to short against it, and if they want to – if they want it to go – Two percent, they're going to have that liquidity in their arsenal to control it. Um, so I really do believe that this next one is going to last a little bit longer. But once that is once that is completed, it's going to. We're not going to see the type of volatility that we that we have now. I could be wrong, but it just would make sense for them to control the market once they come in. And if they if they're holding all the cards, why wouldn't they? Right, that makes sense as well. And so. ETH futures, we're recording this on September 3rd. Um, mm -hmm. Ethereum futures, there's uh, CBOE has stated, I guess, that they're looking to do ETH futures by the end of the year. Two questions. One, do you think that will have um, a similar effect as the Bitcoin futures? And two, do you think that's good or bad for the crypto market? It's. I believe that it, that it will happen, and I believe the same thing will happen with with Ethereum. Um, the people that have been following me um, for quite some time on Twitter are always asking me because the charts that I post are all on on Ethereum pair, and they're all asking me, "Why do you do charts on Ethereum pair?" Because from the beginning of the year, I've been telling people I want to have as much Ethereum in my arsenal over Bitcoin because I believe that Ethereum is going to outperform Bitcoin once again. I did a I did a study and I posted it on um, on uh, on Twitter, and the Bitcoin maximalists were really upset at me, saying, "Ah, oh, you're just crazy." And year after year. Ethereum has outperformed uh, uh, Bitcoin by a lot. Not even by, not, it wasn't even a close margin. And I believe that Ethereum, not so much because of the futures, that wasn't my reasoning. My reasoning was because of Plasma. People don't understand the, the impact that Plasma is going to have on the world of crypto. Plasma is going to allow people to 
buy a cup of coffee, um, buy a, a hammer at, at, at the hardware store using crypto and have instant transaction. You're, you're talking about a million transactions per second. That's going to overtake and destroy Visa. Uh, Visa, you know, right now is the king of, of transactions per second. And this is going to do two and a half times that that um, that the speeds are going to be two and a half times the amount, excuse me, of transactions. So I think that's going to really bring crypto to mainstream. And now that they're in, and I knew in the back of my head one day, you know, it, it's only it's only uh, inevitable that if they did Bitcoin, they're going to do Ethereum futures. But my reasoning behind that was going to be mainly because of that plasma protocol. And now that I see this uh, this uh, news announcement, I'm even more bullish on Ethereum. I think we're going to see Ethereum at five to ten thousand. But to answer your second question, I think we're going to see the same things going to happen to Ethereum like it did with Bitcoin. They're going to destroy the volatility. And do you think that will, so with Ethereum futures and, and the hype that's potentially coming with that, do you think that will take the whole market with it into the next bull run potentially? Uh, yes, I, I think I think it'll take the whole market in, into the next bull run because as we know now, I uh, um Bitcoin is a leader of the entire market, but then when then you have Ethereum, and when Ethereum moves, uh, the, the Ethereum seems to be the uh, the leader of the alt. So when uh, when Ethereum is doing really well, the alts are performing uh, 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 just as good. So when we see Ethereum start just shooting, doing two, three thousand percent. We're going to see the alts do that as well. What I'm hoping that will happen is that we start decoupling from these Ethereum pairs and from Bitcoin pairs so that the alts have a chance to live a life of their own, per se, so that they're not so uh, affected by the movement of Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think if we can if we can manage that across the exchanges, and the only way we're going to do that, if we do USD or USDT pair um, on these exchanges, we're going to not allow the the um, those pairs to affect the movement of, of the rest of, of, of crypto. And if we can manage that, I think we can still continue to have a very profitable uh, career trading altcoins. Um, I don't think we're going to have, I don't think as a trader, I'm going to be very profitable uh, trading Ethereum or trading Bitcoin as much as I am with the alts. So we can decouple that, that uh, those pairs and trade USDT uh, directly or USD directly. Um, we're going to have much better and much longer success with crypto. Interesting. So would you call yourself an ETH maximalist then? No, I'm a, I'm an ROI maximalist. Okay. So I'm going I'm, I'm to go whatever makes me the most ROI. I am not in it. When I got into this space, I didn't get into it because I was fascinated with the tech. I, I got fascinated with the, with the return on investment, with the money. So I don't know a lot of the technical, um, the technical uh, stuff behind a lot of these projects, and I really don't care. I don't take the time to understand uh, too much. I know the basics of what they're going to do and their premise um, just because I like to, for instance, I like to to trade platform coins because they seem to to have the be the strongest future and the most ROI that I'm going to get. So I'll learn a little bit about them, like Neo and Ethereum and Waves. You know, there's are platform coins. So in that sense, I understand. I want to understand what what they do so that I know if I want to invest them in or invest in them or not. But I'm going to look at a coin and I don't see tech or how it's going to change the world. I see how it's going to change my 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 bottom dollar. And when you mention Ethereum um, reaching potentially five or ten thousand dollars. Are you alluding to a flippening of sorts? Because I remember back in January when Ethereum was uh, in January, February when 
Ethereum was doing very well before mm -hmm. the crash, and people were talking about the flippening. Um, it, it was getting very close to like because the supply is so much higher, it would have to yes. be it, that would almost imply a flippening because Bitcoin would have to be um, have a massive price in order to stay above Ethereum. So are you are you thinking that could happen? You know what? If it does or it doesn't, I don't think it, it it would really matter. I know a lot of people used to you know talk about it all the time. What do you think? It I, I, doesn't really matter. It, it it to me, if it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm not I'm not for one more than the other. All I, all I'm for is what's going to again give me a, give me the highest return. So if it does, good for Ethereum. You know, good for Vitalik. If it doesn't, then and it doesn't. I just think that Bitcoin is going to be um, when we start using it as when the when the stock market says using it as, as digital gold i really truly believe that we're going to see bitcoin at two hundred and fifty thousand. we're going to see a, a bitcoin at a million dollar one day i that, that i do see that happening not because i'm a bitcoin maximist but because it just makes sense right and like you said ethereum has a, a larger supply so maybe one day it could surpass that but do i care i really don't and do you think uh Ethereum has, there was some controversy because most people didn't know at the time earlier this year that Ethereum didn't have a uh, hard capped total supply. And, <clears throat> sorry, um, you mentioned the use case for Ethereum and that sparking uh, its, its price upward. Um, do you think it will have the same effect though? Because Bitcoin has the 21 million supply, so that's more of a... Uh, scarcity and, and it makes people like less than 21 million people can own more than one bitcoin so yeah yes that's the reason i believe that bitcoin could be a million dollars one day because of that scarcity so and because you can continue to make ethereum um just thinking about it from business sense i don't see how we can create that same type of of uh, urgency to have like you would with bitcoin but again i don't know the technicals behind it so i don't know what they can actually do to to create a value greater than bitcoin um but if there's a way to to maximize that in 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 my trading or as far as uh, how much money i'm going to make then i'm going to go with which, whichever one of the two is going to make me more money for sure and as we wrap up here um i know that you have a trading group and a trading course um, and some some stuff like that in a website. Do you want to give our listeners uh, just just a few details on that if they sure. want to contact you? Sure. If you want to just go to a bleedingcrypto.com, it's just basically a group. It's a Discord group that we teach. It's uh, primarily composed of new people. So if you got if you're an advanced trader, it probably wouldn't be for you. It's just going to be for new guys that just got into the market, they got wrecked, and they want to learn um, how to trade so they're prepared for the next bull run. So that's that's what I do. We spend all day just talking about the markets. I post charts. But instead of giving them the answers, I tell them to find the answers because it does me no good and does no, uh, them no good either if I tell them how to find something if they don't understand what they're looking for. So it's more of an educational um, a, a group than anything else. It is not a signal group. It is not a call out group. I do tell them what I'm trading and it's up to them if they, if they want to trade what I trade. And keep in mind, guys, I don't trade uh, low quality, uh, low cap market coins i trade only high market cap coins so if you think you're going to go in there and you got a group of guys going to go into a coin it's going to affect the price i'm not going to affect the price of a two billion dollar coin so just keep that in mind this is not a signal group this is an education if you want to learn come check it out awesome 
Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on Bleeding Crypto. I really appreciate it. And, oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Right. Um, and listeners, uh, don't forget, follow Bleeding Crypto. It's at Bleeding Crypto. Um, yeah, on, it, yeah, it's at Bleeding underscore crypto. Awesome. And give them a follow on Twitter. And uh, thanks so much, everyone, for listening in. Nothing in this podcast is financial, trading, or investment advice. Nothing is a recommendation to buy or sell anything for entertainment purposes only. Trading and investing is very risky. Any actions you take are entirely at your own risk. Do your own research. Everything in this podcast is based solely on opinion. 